You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Hello and good morning. Um, For those who don't know me, I'm Janet, and today we'll be reading from Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, You are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who are sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, and new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way may God shake out of the house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to the food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people, But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work of this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In sight of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. Thank you so much. Well, good morning, everyone. It's been a great morning so far, hasn't it? What an absolute joy 
uh, to dedicate children. And so we're in a series looking at the book of Nehemiah. We're in chapter 5 today. I've titled this talk, Justice and Mercy. And last week we looked at how do we handle opposition in life. And, uh, and what we have here as we get into chapter 5 is the focus turns from the rebuilding of the wall and the gates to Judah's urgent economic needs, not unlike, and I'm sure you picked this up reading this, uh, this morning, not unlike what we're experiencing in our world today in terms of the economic climate. And Nehemiah, this incredible leader, goes from kind of building site manager, as we've seen in the previous chapters, to now uh, an imaginative, effective social worker. And we're dealing here with a serious economic and social problem where several factors have combined, which has left so many families um, in poverty, who are broken, who are destitute and in despair. Now, when Nehemiah was allowed to come and help rebuild Jerusalem's walls, he was also uh, appointed the governor of Judah, which is why he has also this responsibility that we discover here in chapter 5. And the workers have been laboring. They've been working really hard uh, at what turns out to be a very, very difficult situation and climate. They are building this wall under significant economic hardship. Verse 1 Because of this, there's now, it says, an outcry. There's an outcry from the people about the building in difficult economic circumstances. And the reason for that is is there's a number of issues why we find ourselves here. The first thing is that the builders have come from all over, as we read a few chapters ago, they've come from all over the region, and they've left their work, they've left their family, and they've traveled to have this time out to help with the rebuild. But by doing that, by making that incredible sacrifice, it means now they've had to cut into their own personal budgets. They're facing challenging financial circumstances. They're even struggling for food. That is why there's an outcry. Also, the region has been in a period of famine and the food supplies are scarce and the reason for that is that the greedy merchants were inflating the price of grain and what we have here is some people were mortgaging their fields, their vineyards and their homes in order to raise money to feed their families. So we have is a really difficult situation. Then to add on to that, the Persian king has placed extra taxes. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Okay, where we're at. I mean, I'm a pastor, not a politician, but it's amazing as you read this. Taxes on fields and vineyards have increased. And so there's a real sense of kind of robbing the poor, if you like, in order to pay for the rich. And the result of this huge financial despair has led now to family members Sons, daughters, being sold into slavery in order to help with the finances. And a lot of this, and I haven't got time to unpack this, but it's contrary to 
uh, what we read in the Old Testament, particularly the Mosaic law and other scriptures, interestingly about interest rates going up. So the Bible, people tell me the Bible's irrelevant, it's not. And Nehemiah's response is threefold. And I think this is a great lesson for anybody, particularly leaders who deal with challenging circumstances. Here is Nehemiah's response to this economic climate and the outrage of the people. First of all, he gets a bit personal. Do you know what? It's not wrong to be angry. It's not wrong, in fact, it's healthy to process your emotion and not keep it all bottled up. And we see here Nehemiah in his humanity There's a personal outrage. You see in verse 6 that he is angry. So this whole situation, as the governor of Judah has connected with him on an emotional level, Nehemiah is angry. Then, verse 7, we see that his mind is engaged. He ponders. So he doesn't react. He's looking to respond. How many of us react when we're in a difficult situation emotionally? Someone says something to us and immediately we're firing a text. Immediately we're on social media. And what we have here is that though this is internally affecting him and his emotions, he actually now engages in an intellectual place. He ponders, he thinks. He's looking to respond, not react. And then verse 7, he accuses. So here's where the will is motivated. There's an emotional level, then engaging the brain, and then the act of the will. We must do something about this. You see, therefore, that Nehemiah's reaction is personal, but it's also public. So it moves now from the personal to the public. He calls a meeting, verse 7, and there's a, and I just love this. There's so much power in this. It's like now a public outrage. There's a public response. Nehemiah is calling it out, saying, this is not right. As a collective, not now as individuals, but as a collective. We see that's a theme throughout Nehemiah, this idea of unity. So now together they are saying, this is not right. We must do something about it. At least it's 2.3, the solution. Verse 8, we see a bunch of solutions that he gives. The first one, verse 8, is that he appeals to their conscience. Going back to this idea of slavery, to um, what was happening in the seventh year, there's kind of like this freedom clause in the contract, in the law, where they were to be set free, and and here that was being robbed from them. So verse 8, Nehemiah is now appealing, he's making his appeal to their conscience, He then appeals to their morality. Verse 9, that phrase, what you are doing is not right. It's just immoral what is happening here. Then the third appeal is in theology. It says here, shouldn't you walk in the fear of the Lord? They knew that God, Yahweh, would not approve of this. And we know in the Christian life that belief and behavior are meant to be inseparable. We're not meant to think one thing and do the opposite. That's the kind of hypocrisy that Jesus always confronted, particularly with the Pharisees. But it's an appeal to their theology. You know, you know that you need to 
walk in the fear of the Lord. And, and, and this is not what it looks like. Then, fourthly, appeals to Scripture. Verse 11, give it back to them. And that's a reference, again, we haven't got time to go into this, to Leviticus 25. You have a responsibility, based in my word, to care for these people. And you are in violation in this. Then, verse 9, again, he appeals to their witness. Talks about the reproach of their enemies. If you don't act on this, then it is tarnishing your testimony. It is tarnishing your witness. W. E. Sangster, one of my favorite authors, he was a pastor, great Bible teacher, said, there are, are there people, he posed this very searching question, are there people outside of the church of Jesus because I'm inside? I should just leave it alone now, we go and pray. Because that is like a, a mic drop quote. Are people outside the scope and the reach and the love of Christ because we're inside? Is anything in our lives that is putting people off Christ? We know the gospel offends, but not us. We're not supposed to offend. And so that is a real searching question for us in terms of he now appeals to their witness. And that's why Nehemiah, verse 10, himself has been lending money but without interest. So he's, again, this is what good leaders do. They don't just talk about this stuff, but they model it. Nehemiah was someone who was doing it right. He was a better example. And then finally, verse 11 to 13, Nehemiah appeals to commitment. And this is something that is so um, prevalent, I think, in the church, is that we can feel something, we can talk about things, we can sing songs about stuff, we can have the best premiings in the world, and yet not actually do something about it. We can prophesy about the gap that we see in our land and the brokenness. We can sing songs about it. But actually, Jesus calls us to stand in the gap. So what Nehemiah does in his response and appeal to commitment is like, let's not be vague here. Let's not be tentative. We will commit. We will act. And he calls them to give back their lands and also the interest. Now, as I alluded to, it's amazing, if I was to get some tracing paper of today's news, today's newspaper, and place it over Nehemiah 5, we would see that there's huge overlap. Actually, these are the times that we are now living in. We see that our world, there is such greed, there is such a love of money, there's an abuse of power which leads to war, worldly systems which are the antithesis to the kingdom of God, ungodly leadership. And this, has it not, left people without even basic needs. What does it mean to be even human? It's left us without God, without basic needs, and people say that's okay because we have more freedom. But people don't understand that without God, humanity is eroded. If, if humans, if we are to flourish, that is always connected to the freedom and the loving boundaries that are in Christ and that God has set up for humanity. 
What we find is that in our world, people are without money, they're without basics, they're without choice. And interestingly, many of us, in many ways, are forced into areas of compromise where we go into forms of slavery and addiction in order to manage what is going on. So the issues may be faced externally, but actually they're forming inside of us unhealthy choices where we revert to slavery in order to deal with the issues of the day. We are faced in the city of Hull with significant injustice. And this isn't an issue that's just out there anymore, but this is actually on our doorstep. It is scandalous when the third world has to repay us, the West, three times more in debt repayments than it receives in humanitarian aid. And so the problems may be global, but I believe the solution is local. I believe that what Jesus asks of us individually is to start first and foremost with what's in our hand, where we live, who are our neighbors, what can we do with the injustice and the brokenness that we see in our society. We have to say, don't we, when there's so much poverty and deprivation and brokenness and pain on our doorstep, we have to say, like in verse nine, as a church, corporately, this is not right. This is not right what we see right now in our society. And in the same way, Nehemiah appealed to their conscience, to their morality, to their witness, to their theology, to scripture, and to their commitment. I believe Jesus wants to appeal in the same way to us, his church, that in our time, on our watch, in our day, we will tackle the injustices of the day. That we won't just merely pray about it, which is what we really, that's a great starting point, as we, we, we unpack prayer earlier on in Nehemiah. But actually, we will be the answer to those prayers that we're praying. We cannot be indifferent or apathetic to the thousands who say through their tears, as it says in this chapter, in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. And this has to come to a place where we're deeply rooted in our concern for the brokenness that exists in our society. You know, as a vineyard church, our identity, as we know, is, of course, in Christ, but it is both doctrinally evangelical and charismatic. In our community, we are passionate about diversity within unity. Our method is always proclamation of God's word, but also demonstration of the Spirit's power. Our ethic is personal and it is social. Our expectation is that the kingdom is already, but not yet. But our concern has to be always mercy and justice. That is our concern. And the whole of the gospel, if you think about it, is centered around Christ's concern for us. He's always concerned about these things. He's in heaven interceding for us, praying for us. He's concerned about, it's in Matthew 6, whether we have enough food or drink or clothes. 
He's passionate about reaching the harassed and the widow and the orphan and the leper and the outcast and the demonized, the dead, victims of religious abuse, political injustice, tax collectors, the lost sheep, the prodigal sons, the nations of the world, the bruised, the brokenhearted. Jesus concerns himself always with you and I. This is something that he is concerned about. And now as the church, we must concern ourselves with Christ and his cause. As I said, friends, the crisis is global, but the solution is local. We must help to bring biblical justice to our city. What does the Bible, you may say, have to say about biblical justice? There are over 2,000 references, more than prayer and faith put together in the Bible about biblical justice. I found in my own life that as I have privately and personally, and I've done this ever since I was young, um, focused on the one person who is in need, whether it's someone who's, who we meet who's homeless, whether it's someone who's elderly, we, we meet up with them, take them out for a dinner, whatever that looks like, I believe that Jesus' heart is attracted to someone who looks after the individual. In our, in our back garden, we have a beautiful fruit tree. Right now, stunning red apples. It's kind of like Garden of Eden stuff. And it hangs right over our garden, and the apples are dropping. We get them, make apple pie, and various other things. But it's actually not our tree. Now, our neighbors don't mind. But actually, the tree is next door, but it hangs over into our backyard. This is what I've always found in the economy of the kingdom. As we serve people who we may never get a thank you from, as we're generous to people, private and in the unseen, as we serve Christ and things that are on his heart, which is often unity in other churches, which is people who aren't yet in church, the marginalized, those who are stuck in poverty, is that what you have is you serve that, Christ always brings fruit in your own back garden. You don't need to be worried about these things, which is what Matthew 6 is all about. Can't serve both God and money. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that you're concerned about will be added unto you because we're not chasing that stuff. We're chasing hard after Christ and we chase hard after Christ, he brings the stuff that we're concerned about. It's the ultimate antidote to worry and anxiety in our age. But that is faith, because we have to sow in areas which maybe no one else will ever know about. It's in the hidden places, but God brings a corporate fruit. He brings excess, abundant life. It isn't just for us, but it's for other people. It's right throughout the Bible, but I just love, and I, I can't say this without referencing Amos 5, 21 to 24 in the message in the Old Testament. It says it's the cry of a prophet in response to the social corruption that he saw. It says, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I could take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? 
you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. I believe that's at the very heart of God for our city and the nations of the world. Part of biblical justice is actually a call to advocacy. And it's an advocacy for those who sit on the margins of society. People have no voice, nowhere to turn. They themselves fall into addiction because they have nowhere else to turn. It always assumes the reality of oppression. We can't just hide away from that. There is horrendous oppression that exists. Did you know that when, in the Ten Commandments, it talks about the Sixth Commandment, about you shall not kill, it actually, what it also means, except for don't kill someone, is the duty of not neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preservation of life. In other words, we're not to allow conditions that undermine the well-being of our neighbors and those in need, practically. And of course, the supreme advocate for the poor is God himself. He always takes up the cause of the needy. And he asks of his church to do the same. How do we do advocacy? Well, we, we meet material needs. People say, like, why do you, as a church, spend so much time, money, resource on just food parcels? I understand that question because we're kind of taught in our Christian bubble often is that it's all about the heart, it's all about salvation, it's all about where, where do you go after this life? But the kind of kingdom come salvation that the Bible talks about isn't just our golden ticket to get out of here. It means so much more. It's about meeting the needs, the basic needs of humanity. I can't tell you how many people underestimate, uh, well, we underestimate a simple gift of kindness, which is somebody else's breakthrough and miracle. Sometimes we're keeping people alive just with our, some of our programs, even for a few more weeks, just so they can find hope. It might be a month, it might be six months, it might be six years, but we're going to be here for the long haul and long term. And we're going to meet people's material needs. Then there's empowerment, and Josh has talked about this a lot as we, over the last few years, that, that charity is one thing, but we've got to do so much more. We've got to empower people so that they can fulfill the call of God on their life. We're not just here just to meet people's needs. We're here to bring, through the Spirit's power, aspiration. And how many of us know that in our local community, Hull suffers for often a lack of ambition and aspiration because hopelessness has invaded their heart generationally from their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents. There's no sense of hope. It's like they're in a cul-de-sac, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And church, we've got to tackle injustice so that we can help people. And also we've got to take on often social structures that disadvantage certain groups. Where we see brokenness in our systems it is on the church not to stay, stay silent. 
But our silence often speaks of an approval. But it's important that as we're a grace outpost, that we're backing it up by practically how are we helping people. Let's not just talk about the injustices of today. What does it look like? They say about the whole Vineyard Church, yeah, they're talking about this. I might not agree with them, but at least they're doing something. Along with so many other great churches in our city. Friends, I believe as a church, and I talked about this a couple of years ago, we are marked by compassion. The Spirit of God is upon us for this, and we see this in our compassion ministries. Day in, day out, we flourish, grow baby, our food bank, care homes, community, money advice, budgeting, the table, and so on. But there is more. There is so much more. God wants us to show compassion, yes, mercy, yes, charity, yes, but also justice. And that is why today I formally commence with Operation Nehemiah. Which won't be our long-term name, but it's the next three months, that's what we're going with. Verse 19 tells us why we're going to do what I'm going to say. And it's a different version from what was read. But this is why we do it, verse 19, for the good of the people and the glory of God. That is why we do this. For the good of the people, for the good of the people of whole, but ultimately that the name of Jesus will be glorified in our time. Nehemiah always, I love this, maintains the unity of the people and the continuation of the mission of God through leading with justice and generosity. That is actually where we find our most, our greatest sense of unity is that when we're on mission and we're sowing in generosity. So we're going to launch what I'm going to say officially probably in the new year. It might be before, but that's my time frame. But I wanted to include us, do something quite different. And, and I felt like Jesus asked me to include us all on the journey from now. And like we've been reading, and the, t- the timing's amazing, been reading in, in Nehemiah about you know, all hands on deck, everybody bringing their gift, their contribution, everyone playing their part. We're all in this together. And so I want to share the next development, I suppose, in our thinking, which is, uh, we talked about this in our, our vision series in March about our compassion center. And for the last six months, I've been uh, doing a lot of research and looking around and thinking and praying. And I want to go into kind of the, the detail of, 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 I suppose, the whys and what happened and the, the God incidences with this and some of the practical reasoning. And I'll share that at a later stage. But... Here's what I feel the next potential step is for us, and that's that we will build on the premises here. We will build a hope center, a compassion center for this city as a gift to this city, particularly in the challenging times that we've had through COVID and through the economic crisis, is that we will build on our land. So we should have a picture of, this is kind of like the first stage idea of what would happen just on our land over there and um, I wanted to share a few things about this first of all we want to do something that's a statement to our city in this time of economic concern 
We want to simply say, practically, we're here for you, and we're here to wash your feet and to serve you. Our heart is, of course, those who don't know Jesus and for the marginalized, and our vision, as you know, is to create rooms so that people can call home, and this is another one of our rooms that we want to create so that people can find home. We've never wanted compassion and justice and mercy to be like an add-on to our church, but it must be front and center, expression of God's heart for our community. I want this to be an expression of what we're known for, not what we're known against. We want to create grace outposts for the message that we convey, that we're serious about this when the Bible talks about tackling injustice. It's a place that shouts hope to those who have forgotten in our city, to those who sit on the margins. It's an opportunity because we have all this site, and I know that's another issue, we're running out of car parking space, but we'll come on to that another time. We've got to think about developing the site, not just for a building, but also for car park and everything, but it's also practically, um, bless Rachel, we're running out of space, aren't we, in the kids' rooms, <laughs> even having to turn people away, and we never want to do that. Um, and so we need to also release space from here in order to grow and continue to grow in terms of kids and youth and those things. But this is the dream church, a statement building for the peace and prosperity of the city, a vision of excellence. Here's why I believe the, the marginalized never, ever, ever get the leftovers, but they go first. I went to see a, a building in Hull this week about a, another event we're hoping to do, and there's some VIP seats, and I told the people who, uh, who managed the building, I said, that will be for the VIP treatment for people who don't come to church and for those who are really struggling at the moment. They're not going to be for pastors. Can I just say that? We go last. Christians go last. And we pave a way for others to go first. A place that speaks of home and aspiration and dignity. When you see it and walk in, it speaks of warmth and welcome and excellence and creativity. It communicates generosity and it can house the following. A giant warehouse full of, think, pallets and storage space and crates and a forklift truck distributing to the city, but also through our multi-sites and other churches in locations that we're hoping to, to pioneer. But also, I do a lot of work with other church pastors in the city, and you've got a little church somewhere, maybe only 15 people, and they're really struggling but have a real heart for an estate, is that we can help resource them to get things off the ground. Space for counseling and pastoral care, life skills classrooms, a place to help refugees, a debt center, a grow baby boutique shop so that people can come and choose prams and beautiful clothes and cots and various other things. A space to house gatherings like our banquet for those who are on the margins and Christmas parties. A department to help with people with addiction. A supermarket, which will be a place like a community shop where people can come and get their food. And it'll be look like a supermarket. Space for vans and buses. This is some of the dream that we have in order to play our small part 
in helping people, particularly in this situation. Joni and I have also talked about having in that place a gym, a laundrette, and showers, and I'd love for also to create space that there'll be a clinic, both for healthcare and for uh, legal advice. And so we want to go from, which we've seen some amazing things in our compassion, but we are definitely at a ceiling. And we know there's so much more. And I believe God is calling us, his church, to step into a moment of faith, to express his heart of generosity to the city that he loves. And so, what can we do now? And there's, there's two things I want to just finish with before we pray. First of all, let's pray. Can we pray for this project? Let's make it front and center. Let's uh, be interceding for it. And all the, as we, as we did last week about opposition to the rebuild, anytime you do anything for the kingdom of God, there is opposition. Um, it always happens. And so we need to pray and be united in that. And then secondly, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about everyone gets to play, this idea of like, how can you and I contribute to this just with our gifts and talents? So maybe some here, here it's like, yeah, I'd love to be able to help out with, with this or that. It's something to do with the building, with the architecture, with plumbing, with electrics. Anything practical. I'm terrible at DIY. So anything that is practical, that you think, do you know what, me, my business, or whatever, we can contribute. And the idea is it wants to be an all-hands-on-deck idea. Nothing is beneath us, but this is everybody doing their little bit, and that amounts to a lot, and that is how we can get something like this off the ground. And so, simply, this morning, is communication. We see in Nehemiah that this stuff is important to God. We see in the Bible it's important to God. And this is um, me including us all on the conversation and on the journey in order to do something that will be a tremendous help to our city. So why do you stand? I'm going to pray. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.